Fun Pump is my favorite podcast. If you're not familiar, these guys build themselves as the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. They have three hosts, Sal, Justin, and Adam, and they cover a wide variety of topics on their show from current events, their personal lives, and of course, health and fitness. And I love their grounded, no BS fitness advice. I've had Sal on this show in the past, and today we have Adam on to talk to us about how to prepare for your first bodybuilding show. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that most of you, like me, are not currently considering preparing for a bodybuilding show. So then, why listen to this episode? I think there's four reasons why you'll love this podcast episode. Number one, maybe you're bodybuilder curious. Have you ever wondered what it takes to transform your body in such a radical way? Number two, there is a ton of useful information in this episode that us regular gym goers can take away and apply to our own health and wellness journeys. Number three, maybe you have no intention whatsoever of competing in bodybuilding, but you'd like to train like a bodybuilder just to see how far you can transform your own body. And the fourth and final reason is that maybe, just maybe, this episode will light a spark in you. That after this episode is over, a seed will be planted, and you'll find yourself audacious enough to toy with the idea of stepping onto a bodybuilding stage for the first time in your life. Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Adam Schaefer is here, and he's going to tell us what it takes to prepare for your first bodybuilding show. But before we get to today's episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by MAPS Fitness Products. So if you're hitting the gym and you're not following a professional, well-thought-out program, maybe you're just following something you saw online, then these programs are definitely for you. There's a MAPS program for everybody, no matter what your goal is, from the complete and total newbie to the advanced athlete. And all month long this month, you can get MAPS Anabolic Half Off. This is a foundational 12-week muscle building program designed to help you build muscle and burn fat. If you're interested in learning more, head over to silveredgepartners.com and click on the MAPS Fitness Products icon and use coupon code ANABOLIC23. That's ANABOLIC23 all run together. So again, head over to silveredgepartners.com Coupon code is anabolic23 for 50% off that program. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. FBB Pro Bodybuilder, a founding member of Mind Pump Media, and he's the co-host of Mind Pump Podcast. Join us today as Adam shares his personal fitness journey, tells us why you might and might not want to consider competing in your first bodybuilding show, 
And along the way, he'll give us tons of practical tips for getting into the absolute best shape of our lives. I started our interview by asking Adam how he got interested in fitness. I've been doing fitness now for 22, 23 years and 20 of those professionally. So I'd only been lifting for a few years as a young teenager before I fell into fitness. And when I got a job working at a local 24-hour fitness, I actually really didn't anticipate my career path to go the way that it did. I actually was still going through college to get my degree in kinesiology. And I moved to the Bay Area in San Jose, which a school, San Jose State, is known for the kinesiology department. So the idea was finish my AA, transfer over, get my kines degree. I'm going to go sign up at this local gym, which I was very unfamiliar with. It was across the street from my grandmother's house where I lived. Walked in and pretty much got a job on the spot accidentally. And the reason why was when I filled out the like the Q thing to get like membership, on there, I had written that I was studying for a national certification and I was going to school for kinesiology. And I remember when the manager walked over, all curious, and he like wanted to interview me on the spot. And I was like, oh, I said, I don't have a degree yet and I don't have a certification. I just, that's, I'm into this field. I'm interested and curious, but I, no, I'm not. And he's like, no, you don't have to be. We send you to what we call 24 Hour Fitness University. We educate you. We get you going. So is this something you're really interested in? I said, I said, I part-time. I said, I got to go to school. And I said, I do have this time between now and when the semester starts. And so I'm open to a, a part-time job. Plus I knew they gave me a free membership because he had pitched that to me. And I was like, okay, it's cool. I'm going to pay for a membership. I'll work part-time. And what happened in that short three-month time of waiting for the next semester to start, I fell in love with the job. I fell in love with the job. I was prior to that. I was milking cows at seven dollars an hour. I'd worked my way up from four fifty an hour to seven dollars an hour doing that through high school and junior college. And all of a sudden, I'm thrusted into a Bay Area wage, which was ten times the amount of money I was used to making. And every paycheck that I made was more and more. And I was in love with it, which was I think the most important piece. And I was still young. I was only twenty years old. And I remember everybody in my family was expecting me to move to the Bay Area to finish school. And I thought I was going to let down a lot of people by telling them I might not finish school right now. And the way I looked at it was I'm only 20. I'd actually already chipped away at a decent amount of school. So I'm not like really behind. I'm young from my class already. If I give this one year, one year, if I try and just dedicate everything to this career, where can it potentially take me? And because I'm being sold by the upper management there. Oh, you're, you'd be great for this. And you can make this much money. And in our field, national certifications are as weighted as a degree. So all that money and time you spend on a degree, you could go out and get certifications for way less. And so they're really selling me hard on it. And I'm, and I'm already loving it. And so my attitude was, okay. Let me give it one year of my life where I just pour everything into it. And then at the year, I'll be honest with myself and assess it. Did it take me where I expected it to? And if it didn't, then I'm still only 21 years old at that time, and I'll be able to go back to school. Well, in a year's time, I moved up really quick, and I was already, by the time I was 21, managing my own facility. And the rest is kind of history. I really fell in love with it. And over time, over years, I started to accumulate national certifications in the field, and so the education and experience came through just trial and error and practice and teaching others, and then eventually became a decent trainer. It wasn't until probably, though, you know, 10 years ago, I'd even say, did I think I really came full circle as far as like being a really good coach. I liked training. I liked working out. I liked people. And so I had success early on, 
But if you were to ask me, did I think I was a really good coach and trainer at that time? I don't think the knowledge and the experience was there yet for me to consider myself a really good coach and trainer back then. I think that just took, it took about a decade for me of training normal people to really build, I think, that type of an authority. And then, of course, you know the story of Mind Pump and how we all found each other and then built this pretty cool little podcast business that we got going on now. So that's the gist of how I got started in the space. And then the bodybuilding thing, which I know is what we're going to talk about today, is something that I actually had no desire to do. I did not follow bodybuilding like my co-host Sal did. I did not care about the, I was not into like him watching Pumping Iron on replay 24-7. That was not me. I didn't really, I didn't have bodybuilding magazines really. I didn't really care about the sport at all. But what I did see at the dawn of social media starting to take over old media and now like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, this is all coming online and you're seeing a lot of these new type of celebrities, these fitness people that are on covers of magazines that are popular on YouTube, popular on Facebook. And what I saw was, okay, here's an opportunity for me to build myself as an authority in the space. At this time, I now have a lot of years of experience. I know I'm pretty good at what I do. In my small little community in the Bay Area, I was known, but not to the world. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to do that, how am I going to reach potentially thousands or millions of people across the country? And I thought, okay, a cool way to do that would be to document my transformation on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and share with the audience my journey. And through that, they will start to, to see my experience and my knowledge come out. And so really that was the desire or the ambition around even getting into competing, it was really for business reasons, was can I show these people that I can go and get myself in the best shape of my life and then compete at the highest level against people that are really into this sport and me do it with no coach, no team, all by myself. And if I could do that, I believe that I would gain gain attention for that. And I did. I got a decent following. I had, a, I think by the time we really started Mind Pump, I had a acquired about 10,000 people that were watching my journey, which back then was a big deal. 10,000 now is nothing I feel like on on social media because it's more popular. But at that time, 10,000 people was a lot more attention than I had gotten before for what I was doing. And that is why I got into the space was to use that as a medium to gain attention that, hey, I have this knowledge. I can take my body from looking this way all the way to this extreme level and then compete with the best of the best. And and it did. It worked as far as getting the attention. It w- And thank God for that because when we started the podcast, Mind Pump, that was the small audience that we had to present this podcast to. And it grew from my Instagram following by word of mouth out well beyond my, my competing name. And so... I actually, for the first part of the show, was known as the bodybuilder guy because I was still going through it early on. And it wasn't until relatively recently did I move on beyond the bodybuilding guy. Most people that have been listening to the podcast for seven or eight years viewed me as that guy. But the truth is, I didn't identify as like a bodybuilder. I just, I really just saw the opportunity to do that to get attention. The cool part, though, was that I did it for those reasons. But I would make the argument that I learned more about nutrition, program design, and coaching in those three years of competing than I did in the previous 
15 to 17 years of becoming a trainer. So that was something that I didn't anticipate that why I think I fell in love with the whole bodybuilding world was because it took me to a whole nother level of understanding in regards of nutrition program design. And that I'm very grateful for that journey. Yeah, I can see how you might learn a lot about yourself, about exercise programming and nutrition by going to that kind of extreme. So I think that's a fascinating story that you got into bodybuilding more from a business perspective, right? There's this new social media and you were, I guess, had enough foresight to understand that building an audience there could be valuable, right? Because people probably weren't monetizing followings back then, I would guess. But you must have been in decent shape. With it. Were you within striking range of a bodybuilding show when you started all this? Because you mentioned, hey, I wanted to show everybody I could go from here to competing at the very highest levels, which you did, right? I so I actually to... wasn't. So what, okay. and the part that I left out of that story because I didn't want to drag on so long yeah. is that I actually originally didn't come out and say, oh, I'm going to compete. What I had happened, what had happened to me, and I don't know how much you know this of my story. I've shared it a few times on the podcast in the past, but I had about a three year hiatus where I left personal training and pursued medical marijuana. It was during the height of that blowing up in the LA and the San Francisco, San Jose Bay area. I saw the opportunity at that point in my life. I was very money motivated. I was, and I was moving in that direction purely to make more money than I, what I had in the fitness space. That what I found, I did make more money than I had ever made in my life. And I also found myself the most unhappy I'd ever been. I was in the worst shape of my life. I had just had a girlfriend for the first time cheat on me. I had two friendships that were lifelong friendships that we had a falling out. I wasn't very connected to my 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 family and my siblings. And so I and I remember like I was traveling back and forth to Vegas and buying things and doing stuff and just trying to fill this void. And I remember just waking up one day and looking at myself in the mirror and just seeing how unhappy I looked and felt and realized, wow, I have, I have more money than I've ever had in my life. And I achieved this dollar amount I thought that was going to make me feel happy and fulfilled. And I feel the worst. And so it was at that moment, I was lucky, I was blessed that I had stocked up a savings or stacked up a savings for myself. So I didn't have to like rush into anything. I had enough to live off of for a while while I kind of figured out what was it I wanted to do. And when I was looking back at fitness, I go, man, the, the happiest I've ever been was when I was training, coaching, and helping people. I love that space. And even though it, I didn't see a lot of money in it, I at that time in my life, I realized that money wasn't going to make me happy, and I better go back doing something that I'm more passionate about and I love. And I was in the worst shape. So the initial announcement on YouTube and Instagram, when I had five people paying attention to me that were all family, nobody else, I said, okay, here's a picture of me. And I was in the worst shape of my life. So at that point in my life, I'd never seen 20% body fat. I was at 20% body fat, totally deconditioned. And even all my years as a trainer, I was never, I never got sub 8%, 9%. I think the lowest I ever saw was like 10% body fat. So I was in good shape, but I never got like crazy trainer shape. And so the goal was, I'm now in the worst shape of my life, and I'm going to document and show you, and I'm going to get in the best shape of my life, which means I had to get to 9% or lower because I'd never been there before. And during that process, I documented all of it. I did get down to 7.7%, 7.7 or 7.4%, and that, I, that gained the initial following. And that's what gave me the idea of, what 
if I got this much traction from showing people my journey from fat to fit, what if I take it to the next level and I go compete and put myself out there with the best of the best that do this? And that is what propelled me to doing the bodybuilding. So at that point, I was in relatively good shape, if that's what you mean. But when I initially started the journey, I actually was coming from the worst shape of my life. And it took me about a year to get down to that 7%. And then it took me another year to get ready for my first. So even though I was at 7% body fat and you could technically get on stage at probably 3 or 5%. So I wasn't very far off from a body fat percentage. But I knew that my physique was, I wanted to win, I'm competitive. So I knew if I was going to get out there and get on stage, and I was looking at my peers that were competing at that level, even at the amateur level, I hadn't put enough time under the iron of sculpting a bodybuilder-esque physique that I wanted another year of consistency of trying to build a physique that I thought could go and win. So it took me about another year of really programming and building and then getting ready for my first prep. Okay. And then, so I love that story going from fat to fit. And then you accomplished that. You got fitter than you'd ever been in your life. And you're like, Hey, what's the next level? Okay. It's competing in bodybuilding at the highest level. So let's transition here a little bit and talk about bodybuilding. So I think before we get into talking about how or why somebody might consider their first bodybuilding show, let's talk about what it is. So we talk about bodybuilding. I think most folks know that, yeah, there's a female and there's a male division. But I think a lot of folks just have this vision in their mind, especially those of us 50 and over, probably Arnold Schwarzenegger. But there's divisions, right? So we've got men's a couple different categories there, yeah, women's a few different categories. Why don't you talk about that a little bit to kind of set the stage? Yeah, and that's a good place to go because probably why I never was attracted to bodybuilding in my early years is because I never thought it was even a possibility for me back when. when I was a kid. It really was only Arnold. It was bodybuilding. And it was just these mass monster looking dudes that were just way bigger. They were naturally bigger than me. And then they were taking copious amounts of steroids to look that way. And neither one of them I thought was even realistic to me. But not that long ago. It's been about 20 years. No, it's not even 20 years. It's probably been like 15 years now. The men's physique category was created. And men's physique kind of looks like the cover of men's health or swimsuit type of model today where you don't have to have these massive legs. You just need to have a chiseled, symmetrical uh, physique. That, I had an athletic build and body, and I'm tall and lanky. I'm 6'3". So when I saw that, I thought, okay, I could do that. So that category appealed to me. And the same thing is on the woman's side. So bodybuilding for women was around forever, just like regular bodybuilding for men. And it was, again, like just real muscular looking women. Then they came out with women's physique and figure and bikini. And they all are like these levels of how hard do you want to look and how muscular do you want to look. And they really did it, obviously, from a marketing perspective and business, it was brilliant on their part because it, it made the sport more inclusive. It made the sport more attractive to the average person who's, listen, I don't want to look like Arnold, but the cover of Men's Health, is that's attractive look to me. It looks obtainable, looks more realistic. It looks like something that I don't have to be in the gym seven days a week, four hours a day to look like. And so... That is how the categories are. Is that you have these this men's physique, you have classic physique, and then you have bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is the traditional one you're referring to with the Arnold kind of look, which today they're massive, right? The Ronnie Coleman's and stuff like that. And then you have this classic physique, which I would say is in between. Classic physique to me looks like 
bodybuilding looked like in the 80s and the 90s, that type of a physique. And then men's physique, like I said, is like a men's health or a swimsuit model type of, of look. And so that was the look that I was going after. I And I by no means did I think that I could achieve a pro bodybuilder physique in the time that I did. I knew that I had a close enough physique and genetics to to achieve the men's physique. And that was what drew me to to that category. Yeah. So that I suppose as they brought in these new categories, it put it into striking distance for us mere mortals, right? Because when you think about, especially today, some of the guys in the bodybuilding category, they're just, they're ginormous. It's ridiculous. But the same thing for the ladies. And a lot of ladies looking at the big, bulky bodybuilders, probably that's not a, a look they're going for. When we look at the bikini or the figure, or uh, I think that bikini figure physique, right? Before, yep. before they get to the really big ones. Yeah. So there's a number of places to start. You can find yeah. a look that's A, appealing to you, and B, that seems like something within range. Now, I think that before we started recording, I was telling you, hey, I, I did this podcast a while back about doing your first powerlifting meet, and I didn't think it was going to get a lot of traction, and it was a huge success. A lot of people were really interested. And in that conversation with Andy Baker, we talked about really doing your first powerlifting meets, not a whole lot different than, say, running your first 5K or your first marathon. It's not that you're, in your case, you were in it to win it, but for a lot of us, it might just be a life goal or something that we do that we just give us accountability and give us a goal to march towards. So let's start, let's start the conversation here. Who's a good candidate to do their first bodybuilding show? And we'll just say for men, that would probably be physique. And for most women, that's probably going to be a bikini show. I like this question because I think I have a different philosophy around competing than I would around powerlifting or let's say running a marathon. I think it I think bodybuilding is more dangerous. And I if you've heard me on the show long enough, you've probably actually ironically heard me talk more negative about bodybuilding than I would ever about powerlifting or marathon running or a sport for that matter. Because it is so subjective. And like powerlifting, it's if you go to a powerlifting meet and let's say you didn't even train, you just show up tomorrow, you sign up, you go to a powerlifting meet, you can go deadlift, squat and bench. And there is a measure of that's how much you deadlifted. That's how much you squat. You won. You didn't place. It, it is what it is. And then you go to the drawing board and you go chase getting stronger. I don't think there's anything that's dangerous or unhealthy about that relationship. So I so to. Andy, I would agree. Like it is that you get in there, try it, see how you do, and then we can adjust going. Bodybuilding and the bikini and physique world is we're judging you by the way you look. And unfortunately, I think that's part of what's wrong with our space is that we've become so focused on vanity, like the covers of magazines and the people that we highlight in our space that are the most famous on television or on the magazines, like are not the best examples of people in regards to health. And so I'm not the biggest fan of telling anybody that like, oh, you should just go try a bodybuilding show because what it can do is it can create or exacerbate a already poor relationship with exercise, with nutrition, with your self image, and I'm not a fan of recommending that to most people. Now, if you have been 
working out for a long period in your life, say you are 50 and you've been training for 10, 15, 20 years of your life, and you've already done the journey of trying to work out just to look at it, and you've now attached exercise to something far greater than just your abs or how you look in the mirror, and you know that this is what makes me a better man, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm more productive at work, I sleep better, my sex drive is better, like I'm just a better person because I exercise and I strength train and I train my body and you have and you eat to take care of yourself and fuel your body because you love your body, not because you're punishing yourself because you identify as fat or you don't like that is so important that you've worked through that part of your journey in, in, in your pursuit of health and fitness before you go do something as extreme as bodybuilding, in my opinion. Because it's the extreme expression of that. It is taking the dieting and training aspect and the look aspect of the body and dieting to the most highest level. And I just think that is a dangerous place to take somebody that has not done the proper work. Now, lucky, when I got into competing, I was 30 years old and I'd already been training for 12 years. So I'd already worked through a lot of my body image issues. I'd done a lot of the work and education around nutrition and what poor dieting looks like, understanding what reverse dieting looks like. So I'd worked through a lot of that stuff. So when I got into the space, I didn't get wrapped up with, um, you know, identifying with this look that I was trying to achieve. It was literally, I could look at it as like, this is a sport. I'm presenting my physique this way, but I don't care. I don't care. You know, my body fat percentage afterwards goes up three or 4%. And I don't care when the judges are judging me and they're saying, hey, your chest isn't big enough for your shoulders and back. I'm not going home and like crying and beating myself up because I'm not perfectly symmetrical. And you got to really, you got to really make sure that you've worked through a lot of stuff because admittedly, most of us that join our first gym or pursue dieting and exercise, most of the time we do it because of an insecurity, because we feel inadequate, because you don't like your small calves or you don't like your spaghetti arms or you don't like your beer belly or somebody teased you and called you fat. And so something has lit a fire in you to make this change. And unfortunately, the fitness space has done a really good job of marketing to people that way and poking at insecurities to motivate you to buy products and to invest in whatever it is that they're trying to sell you. But the truth is, if you're going to do this as a lifelong pursuit, you've got to find a way to move beyond these insecurities. And the sport of bodybuilding, I think, can be dangerous because of that, because it can only make it some for some people, it makes it worse. It causes eating disorders. It causes self-image issues. It's, I've seen bulimia happen. I've seen health conditions because how extreme they dieted just to get to try and win the trophy, like pills and the drugs they've taken just so they can get the next level of the trophies. Like, I've seen a lot of what blew me away and why I feel so passionate about this is I, I was completely oblivious to all of this until I got in the space. And when I got into it, I actually went in so naive that my thought process, I remember vividly having this conversation with Justin before, because Justin and I were friends a long time ago, even before Mindpump, and we were talking, we were having lunch, and I told him I was going to compete. And I'm like, man, I'm really excited to get into this because I'm going to meet some of the like brightest minds when it comes to nutritious and some of the smartest people when it comes to program design. And so I was really eager to learn 
from a lot of these top 1% of bodies. Like I assumed that they were going to be these really intelligent, self-aware, brilliant fitness people. And when I got there, it was the complete opposite of what I thought I saw. Now I saw people with incredible discipline and dedication, but I saw a ton of insecurities and broken people and really bad relationship with body image and obsessiveness. It really blew my mind on how disordered that world was. And it was really interesting to me to see that many of the people that were the best of the best in that space were who we were highlighting on the cover of a magazine or had the 2 million followers on Instagram, or were the most popular people on YouTube that all these young kids were looking up to and aspiring to be like. But what I got to find out, because I became friends with a lot of these people and they were my peers, was, oh my God, like that person that all these kids are trying to be like, this kid is still working through his childhood trauma that yeah. he's been beaten, his insecurities that he's still doing. Like The reason why he's so good at his sport is because he's like punishing himself every single day inside the gym and he's like to a, like a crazy level and that's and like what you know body as far as the way it looks is that's the expression of that but what you don't realize is this person is not a, a healthy person to be teaching the masses about health and fitness and it really it motivated me to stay in it it motivated me to do what I could to impact and help. And I, I started coaching women's bikini athletes, not because I wanted to, but because I saw so many broken metabolisms and coaches that were fucking these athletes up with the diets they were putting them on. And I wanted to help. And so I started to help those athletes. And then when we started the podcast, I wanted to talk about this stuff because I've been in the space for a long time and I was naive to it. I assumed that these were the they were going to be the best of the best when it came to nutrition and programming, and it wasn't like that at all. So now, all that negative stuff that I set the table with, I loved it. I loved doing it. I got tremendous value from it. And when you have to track at that level on, on from nutrition and from volume of training and your what you're doing, Boy, I mean, everything from water to sodium to the carb intake to the protein intake to day in, day out. I was tracking for three years every single day. I did not put something in my mouth that was not written down and paid attention. Now, if somebody else would listen to me like, that sounds pretty fucking obsessive. And it absolutely could be. But I went in with it with a competitive sport attitude. Like, this is not going to be me forever. This is, I want to win and be good at it. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to be a bit obsessive about it. But I also know that I could remove myself from it one day and look forward to the day that I would do that. But while doing that, I learned so much about my own body, and then it gave me even more insight on the challenges and hurdles that I knew my clients faced all the time. For example, one of the hardest things as a coach and a trainer, when you have clients that set them out on a meal plan, you train them, or you have a workout program that they follow, and you're checking in with them, and they come to you on, you train them on Monday, you train them on Wednesday, they said they're hitting the diet every single day. And, they, and then you see them on Friday and they're like down. And you're like, what's wrong? And, she, and, and Susie looks at you and goes, I just, Adam, I'm doing everything you tell me to do. And I got on the scale this morning and it went up two pounds. And I looked in the mirror and feel fatter. And I don't, I don't understand what I swear. And as a trainer back then, I really thought they were lying to me. I thought there's no way. I've got her on this calorie restriction. I kicked her ass on Monday. I kicked her ass on Wednesday. If she's tell if she's doing all the other things I'm telling her to do, there's no way we gained weight between Wednesday and Friday. Like she's got to be hiding something or lying or miscalculating or something. I really believe that. 
for the longest time. But I was dialed and I was definitely not missing calculating anything because I was tracking every single thing. This would happen to me. And I went, oh, wow, this is really fascinating. But then when I would go back and look at everything that I did, I was like, oh, wow, interesting. Yesterday, I had 50 more carbohydrates than normal, trained pretty hard. So I actually ended up intaking a quarter gallon more of water than I would usually. And that, in, that increase of sodium, carbohydrates, and water resulted in my body holding on to an extra two or three pounds over the next 24 hours. Now, what I noticed was I stayed the course. I didn't let that deviate me. And then over the next 48 to 72 hours, my body would release that water. And then all of a sudden, I would be at a new level of leanness. I could, And I could see it. I could see it in the mirror. That morning when I woke up with the extra two pounds of water, I looked bloated. I looked a little puffy. I didn't feel great. And I went, oh, my God. But I know I'm doing the right things because I have it all tracked. So I And I thank God I had the experience and the knowledge to say, okay, stay the course. I'm not going to course correct. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm doing the right things. Let's see what happens in a week or two. And then what would happen? It would all balance out. And then I would see that I made improvement. I thought, whoa, how many of my clients and ones that aren't my clients that are just trying to figure this out on their own, start a diet, start a routine, following it to a T, and then they hit one of these mornings and they freak out and then they course correct. And then they go to the gym that, you know what they do? They cut back calories that day. They go get on the Stairmaster for an hour and they try and yeah. burn it off like crazy. And how detrimental can that be towards building their metabolism? Getting on a piece of cardio equipment, pushing really hard on there, punishing yourself for something you really didn't do wrong, while also restricting calories that your body needs if we're going to ultimately try and build your metabolism. You just sent the complete wrong signal to your body when you were actually doing perfect. You just had a couple things that went on. You had a little bit more sodium. You drank a little bit more water. So you had a little bit more. Or more stuff that I found later on is... Some foods agree with me more than other foods. If I eat breads and pastas and foods that are high in gluten, I can tolerate it. I don't have an intolerance to where I'm like diarrhea or cramping. But when I do, boy, my, I get a little bloated and I hold on to some extra water because that bread and pasta doesn't agree with me as much as rice did or sweet potato did or yams did. Boy, I had sweet potato, yams, rice. My body agreed. So I didn't get any bloat, anything from it. I could have bread, same calorie intake, okay, as the sweet potatoes did. But just by me having bread, I would have this kind of adverse effect happen. I would get this bloat and water retention for a couple of days before it passed through my system. And then I went back to my yams, sweet potato, and rice for it to, to adjust. And again, I went, oh, my God, how many clients are doing the calories? The calories all line up, but maybe they have a food they don't realize they have a bit of an intolerance to. And they don't, you don't have a major intolerance. You don't have to be like allergic to it or it doesn't have to fuck you up so bad you're it's debilitating. But sometimes we eat foods that our system doesn't fully agree with and there's a slight reaction. There's a little bit of bloat. There's a little bit of water retention. You didn't get fat. You didn't add two pounds of fat from that one meal, but your body reacted a little bit, held on to a little bit more, which then looks at when you look in the mirror, looks like you got fatter temporarily and then that messes with you psychologically and then that makes you do something in the gym or in your diet that you shouldn't do because you're actually doing the right things and so many things like that came to light for me while I was competing and so it really gave me it gave me the words for the podcast now and if I was communicating to other clients like what could possibly be going on to 
help them not allow them to get in their own way. And for that, boy, I loved, I love, and then it's just the nutrition side on the program design side. I used to just, Adam, hang on, because I I want to talk specifically about programming and I I probably want to come back and pick apart some nutrition stuff, but I just want to back up here and just summarize some of what you said right there. Because I said, hey, who's a good candidate for starting bodybuilding? And you actually answered my next question as well is who is not a good candidate for bodybuilding, right? And so I just want to make sure I have this straight. So the listeners listening, they're like, okay, wow, that sounds really, you know, it's daunting. And it, that's because it is, right? This is not something to be taken lightly, like maybe running your first 5K. But there's a couple of things I want to tease apart here. The first is it sounds like what you're saying is you're going to have to have some training experience, right? That's just, that's the table stakes. You're going to have to have some years in building muscle and have a good relationship, but more so it's this mindset and this relationship with yourself, your body issue, working through insecurities. Those of us that are on the leaner side, it's that, Hey, I'm a, I'm scrawny no matter how big I get or the bigger guy. Hey, I'm fat and, and that can mess with your head as you're bulking or leaning. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I also also wanted to talk about, so we know that if we're a good candidate, if we have our head straight, right, and we have a good relationship with food, exercise, our bodies, we have discipline, and we have that experience. But I want to talk a little bit before we go into maybe the programming side about extreme aesthetics and optimal health, because they're not really the same thing. When we see that shredded man or woman, that guy who's 3% or that woman who's 10% body fat, a lot of times... Popular media wants us to believe that's ultimate health, but they're really two different things, aren't they? Do you want to talk a little bit about just the difference between what we're looking at when we see somebody on a bodybuilding stage versus just optimal everyday health? hundred percent. In fact, they're, they're, uh, the term has been coined, uh, walking dead men is what they're called yeah. when you're on stage. So you, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously that's not a positive term in regards to health to be a walking dead man on stage. Uh, Jason actually has a really cool way to explain this. You're probably familiar with this in NCI. Okay, just a quick note here. Adam is actually one of my business mentors, and he just referenced Jason and NCI. He's referring to Jason Phillips, who is the founder of both NCI and BCI. NCI stands for Nutritional Coaching Institute, and one of my two nutrition coaching certifications comes from them. BCI stands for Business Coaching Institute, and these folks help nutrition and fitness coaches build viable businesses. I happen to know for a fact that a few of you out there listening are looking into the possibility of becoming coaches, and I highly, highly recommend both of these great businesses. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up for more details about either program. You can shoot me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com. I believe in the triangle, he has performance, aesthetics, and health, I believe. Is that what his triangle is? Performance, performance, aesthetics, and longevity, yeah, or health. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so that that triangle, and and if you imagine being dead center, you're not the most optimized for longevity, you're not the most optimized for aesthetics, you're not the most optimized for performance. And the closer you move to one of those things, whether it be longevity or over towards performance or over towards aesthetic, you move away from the other two points. And so that's what, and when you think about bodybuilders who they are the most extreme version of aesthetics, that means you're on the bottom right-hand corner of that triangle. So you're actually really far 
from longevity and performance. And so I love that analogy because it gives people a really good visual. Because the truth is, most of us want a little bit of kind of everything, right? Like right. most people are like, yeah. I'd like to be, you know, I want to be able to run with my kids and do those things like that. But I'd like to look good too as a dad. You know, I, obviously, I want to live long. I don't want to die early. So I think we all selfishly want a little bit of all of that. You just need to recognize that the more extreme you move in any of those directions, the further you move from the other two points. And when you talk about, when we talk about high level sports, the professional level, that's that far angle for performance. As far as in the triangle, you're at the bottom left-hand corner of that triangle. When you talk about bodybuilding for aesthetics, that is the bottom right-hand part of the triangle. And when you talk about people that are like hippie, crunchy, just do the bare minimum, like they're like so focused on living longer, but they probably can't perform very well and they probably don't look really shredded or that awesome. And so that's what it looks like. And I think that's one of the best ways to explain to somebody what that looks like for the average person that is interested in it. And so I love... And personally, to start in the middle, and then I kind of, you know, for a while, I might move towards performance. I'm starting to train a little bit like my old basketball player ways, and I know I'm moving away from the other two a little bit. And then as I get deeper and deeper in that rabbit hole, I go, oh, it's it's time to move back towards the longevity. And so now I'm going to start doing things like cold plunge and sauna and resting more and walks and connecting with people. And so I'm going to focus more on that. Okay, I'm doing that really well. I'm really good on the health sphere. You know what? Like I'm going to want to get shredded for a little bit. I'm going to try and lean out. So now I'm going to start in. I love to play around within that triangle. I think there's tremendous value in moving in that direction just so long as you're aware that when you're in the most extreme corners of that, you're you are but definitely missing out on some of the other aspects of that triangle. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to pull that apart. And I love that triangle of awareness, as Jason calls it. And I certainly use that with my clients as well. And I say, hey, what are your goals? Right? And I've got this kind of thing where, hey, you can have all three, just not at once. To your point, we're going we're gonna to have a season yeah. where we work on aesthetics. We're going to have a season maybe where we work on performance, if that's your goal. Right? We have a season or maybe that's your, you only want to be in one of those areas. But doing so with some awareness, I think, is really important. So I, I cut you off as you were getting ready to go to what more the training side. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit, because I think that most of us, when we think about bodybuilding, we think about steroids. We think about performance enhancing drugs, things of that nature. Now, a lot of us over 50 are on some type of hormone replacement or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about, say, the natural divisions versus I, I guess it's called open division? Is that right? And what are the actual requirements? What is and isn't allowed? So like a guy, for example, on, on testosterone replacement therapy, is he a candidate for natural or no? And same thing for a no. lady on hormone. Okay. Yep. No. Yeah. So if you're on hormone replacement therapy, so I competed in IFB and uh, MPC, which are open divisions, which allow steroids in them. And I took anabolics. So I, I had dabbled in anabolics all the way into my early 20s and did them incorrectly and definitely did some work to my hormones to the point where I'll probably be on hormone replacement therapy for the rest of my life. Um, so I was competing in that level. Now you can compete in a natural if you don't take any sort of hormone replacement at all. But as soon as you take that, even if you're taking just like what I take right now, which is the therapeutic dose to just right. keep me at good healthy levels, you're now taking synthetic, it will pop up in the test and you won't be able to take it. So you would not be able to be in natural. So yes. So that's how those work. And Part of why I I was more attracted, because I could have opted into doing natural and coming off. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. All right. 
I could have opted into doing that. I went on a stint for a while where I had come completely off hormones and I was really trying to bring my levels up naturally. In the bodybuilding world, the IFB and MPC, which is the open divisions which allow steroids, is the most popular. And because my motivation was around getting known and using it for business purposes, and I wasn't just like I, like wanting to compete. If you're a natural person and you haven't taken steroids and this is just a goal of yours, a challenge, I would highly recommend going the natural route for sure. Because for that type of motivation of like, like just checking it off as a, can I take myself in the best shape of my life? Like, absolutely. And you're not somebody who is already taking hormone replacement therapy, 100% go the natural route and do that. And I think there's tremendous value from it. And do not just take steroids just to compete. That's a terrible idea. And that would be an example of why I would say this person shouldn't be in competing if they are going to take steroids just so they can compete. That's silly to me to do something like that. So yeah, that's kind of how the divisions work. I forget the name of the Nat Slippy P, ENF or uh, ENF. I forget what the natural uh, division is, but it's not as popular. So when you see the covers of the magazines and all the guys that are on there and the girls that are on there, almost all of them come from either WBFF or come from the IFBB, which are the open, you can take steroids type division. Yeah. Yep. Got it. And when Got it comes it. to like that, that would include peptides, anything. So you cannot, you can't take any sort of SARMs, peptides, HRT. Once you start messing with any of those things, any synthetic stuff that you're injecting, you are now in the open category and you would be competing against people that are taking as much steroids. It's, again, there's no limit. So right. you have to understand that if you're just an HRT guy and you're going to go compete, that the, a lot of these guys are taking much higher dosage than you are. That being said, I also saw a huge misconception in the steroid use in men's physique. So Remember, I went through this phase in my 20s. I took steroids, tested my hormones. Then I get on HRT. My HRT dose is very low. to get like 150 milligrams of testosterone a week, which is basically just enough to get the upper limits of what they would consider healthy. I'm not in these super, physio super physiological doses whatsoever when I first get in, get in the amateur level. I was able to win a show oh, and take first place in a open with steroid use by taking my therapeutic dose. And what I was baffled by was there was amateurs in the men's physique that were taking like Olympia level bodybuilding dosage of drugs, one gram of the, thinking that steroids was going to help them win this show. And it's like, no, don't get me wrong. Steroids are the huge when it comes to building muscle, speeding your metabolism up, burning body fat, like huge advantage to do that, but not with, in spite of like diet and exercise, like Program design and nutrition still is the cornerstone of your most successful bodybuilders. Like you still got to have really good programming, and steroids aren't the answer. And that was what I was seeing. I was seeing all these like really bodies that had no business taking the types of drugs they were taking in pursuit of winning these shows. And it's like there's so much more this person needed to do before they should have even considered taking the dosage they're doing. So that is a problem in that space where. People assume, in fact, when I was, when I went to my second or my third show, I made this mistake myself. I thought, oh, well, let me, I'm going to bump my therapeutic dose up to 250. So I doubled my, or not doubled, almost doubled my dose of testosterone, which still is not a big dose, especially in the bodybuilding world. But when I went into my second show, the feedback I got from my judges was, you're too big for men's physique. So just in that that three-month span of from my first show to my second show and me thinking that increasing my testosterone was going to help me win a show, 
it actually backfired on me because I, I did put on more muscle. I got bigger. And then the judges are like, you're getting too close to bodybuilding. You're an amateur men's physique guy. You look too big. And I got knocked down to sixth place on a show. Had I probably been stayed on my normal HRT and just kept dieting and training, I might have actually won. Because the very next show, I learned my lesson, brought my dose down, and I took first place. This is a misconception in the bodybuilding world, too, is that the answer is steroids and more steroids. And it's like the answer lies in nutrition and program design. So there's still, we can look at that as like a pyramid, right? We Base is going to be the foundation of program design and nutrition, hard work, dedication, mindset. And then the, that tippy top is going to be some pharmaceutical enhancement there. All right. Well, thanks. I wanted to come that out there because I do know that if folks are considering this and just have to be, if you're a guy and you're just on a therapeutic dose of testosterone and you want, and this is a goal of yours to do your first bodybuilding show, you are going to be in an open category with folks that are, have, there's no limit to the amount of right. steroids they may or may not choose to use. But to your point, without the hard work and without the proper diet, the, all the steroids in the world aren't going to make you huge. Well, that's, right? I, I'll, I will take a person with good genetics and good, so I can see a person, I can look at a body and tell you if you have good bodybuilding genetics and what it is, somebody that has, the ability to build muscle fairly well and has good natural symmetry. So, yeah, and we all went to school with that mesomorph kid or what that. It's normally the running back in high school or the like that, that body type where they're not too tall, they're not too short, they got good shoulders already. And it's like this guy didn't even lift weights and he's already got kind of good cement. That person, you throw a good diet, good training on them, and they will build a winning physique in bodybuilding better than the kid who's very insecure about his skinny frame and body and he's taking copious amounts of steroids to try and keep up. That kid's going to have a hard time because genetically he already is not built for the sport and he thinks the answer is pouring on a bunch of steroids to get there. The kid that's taking no steroids, who's got the good genes for it already and a good physique, like will win that show. So that's very important that you, how you laid that out and framed it in the pyramid. It's a tip top and it's nowhere near tip as top. important as yeah. all the other stuff. All right, well, let's get into some fun stuff here. Let's talk about the base of the pyramid, right? Let's start with just program design. And what would a, for folks listening, let's just use an example of somebody who's, they're in their mid-50s, upper 50s, and they're listening to this and thinking, that sounds interesting. I'd like to do this. First things first, how long of a prep period do they need? And I know that's going to vary wildly from person to person, but generally speaking, are we talking about, I need three months, six months, a year, two years, just in general to prepare, to put a show on the calendar. And then let's talk about what a kind of a periodized training block would or blocks would look like to lead us to the stage. So I love this question because it's, I think, yes, it is nuanced, but there are some pretty basic rules. And something I used to tell all my competitive clients was the real work for a show is actually done heading into prep, not prep itself. Prep is us revealing all the hard work you did leading up to that. Because when you're in a calorie deficit and you're cutting for six, eight, 10, sometimes 12 weeks, you're not building muscle. You're just removing the body fat on there and you're revealing all the muscle that you had built six months, a year, two years, five years prior to going into that prep. So the real work is done outside of that. And the amount of time you should probably dedicate to that really depends on two major things. One, do you want to win? And then two, how much effort have you put into sculpting and build, building a physique heading into that prep? Because we all, okay, 
I don't care if you've never lifted, you have shoulders, you have a chest, you have a back. We all have those muscles, right? And if you get really lean, you will reveal all those muscles and you will look muscular, even having no background of building up a physique. You're going to have a hard time winning a show by doing that. But if the goal is, I just want to prove to myself that I can diet, train, and be consistent, and then get really lean and present myself, then who cares? Then you potentially are almost ready to go right into a prep. The other thing that would be very important to me is your metabolism. And probably the most important thing, especially with my female clients, but even so with my men, is making sure that our metabolism is roaring and in a healthy place before we decide to go into prep. The most common thing that I would get are these women that train for bikini. And how it would play out is like this. Two girlfriends talking one day, follow some girl on Instagram. She's a bikini competitor. And they go, you know what? Let's do this. Yeah, I would do that. Are you down? Yeah, I'm down. Let's do this. And they go, they let's look at the dates. Oh, there's one in there's one in six months. You think we can do this in six months? Yeah, that's good enough. Six months. Let's do it. Let's sign up for that. And then they look for a guy like me and then they called me up. Hey, I heard you're a women's bikini coach and I want to I have a show in November I want to do. Could you prep me for that show? And of, now me, I would turn that person down because I w- always wanted to assess somebody's current training, diet, metabolism, everything before I would head them in prep. I would never take high, let someone hire me and instantly put them into prep mode to get ready for a show, not knowing where their metabolism is. Because I know that I, not only would I be doing a disservice to them, that I could really potentially fuck somebody up by doing that. Because a lot of women, especially women that follow other bikini competitors and want to look good and lean, they have been yo-yo dieting a lot. Many of them, the way they diet is just cutting back lots of calories and eating celery and carrots for a week or whatever like that. And so when I would assess someone like this and say, how many calories do you eat currently right now? Oh, like 1,500 on a high day, sometimes 1,300. Yeah. But they're in these like 1,300 to 1,500 calorie diets already. And then you want me to get you ready for a show and you want to diet for 10 to 12 weeks? Like you're crazy. What are you going to be eating? 200 calories by the time we hit the stage? That's absurd. So that person, and by the way, I use the female numbers. The same goes for a guy. Guy calls me up. Same thing. Oh, November, I want to do this bodybuilding show. And I go, okay, where are your current calorie intake right now? 2,100, 2,200 calories. Okay, 2,100, 2,200 calories, and you want me to prep you for a show right now? Like, where are we going to be at? 1,200 calories? And you're a 180, 200-pound man, and you want me to get you down to 3 4% body fat? You're crazy. I'm going to have to starve you and punish the shit out of you for weeks to even potentially get you where you want to go, and then... Your body's going to adapt to that, and you're going to be at such a shitty place that when you rebound, oh, are you going to rebound so hard and put so much body fat on afterwards? And it's so not healthy for you to do that. So when I start somebody, I tell them our prep starts with building your metabolism first, and then when I feel like and we agree together, you're in a really good place to start cutting, then we go, okay, what does that look like? This is where the individual part is. Where a 180-pound man should be at calorie-wise versus a 240-pound man are completely different places. So generic way to answer this would be this. I want you, when we go into prep, eating so much damn food that you look back at me and you go, Adam, I can't eat anymore. You've got me eating so much food 
to maintain. It's crazy. I it's too much. I don't want to eat anymore. Cool. We're now at a good place to bring you back the other direction. If you're already just eating moderate amount of calories, and then I got to cut you from there, I don't have a healthy place to go. Whereas if you hired me, and let's use you for example, Kevin, let's say Kevin, you hire me, let's say you tell me your calories around, let's just say 2,200 calories, and I go, okay, this is what we're going to do, Kev, you and I, I'm going to get you up to 3,200, 3,400 calories minimum, um, and we're going to slowly work up there. We're going to work on building strength, we're going to increase calories week over week, month over month, and try and pack some good size on you, build some muscle, and speed your metabolism all up. And then I want, when we get up to that 3,400, I want to ask you, how do you feel right now? You're like, oh my God, I feel stronger and I'm, I'm fuller and man, I've eaten so many, six meals a day and so much food. I'm like, all right, now we're in a, we're in a healthy place that when I cut you 500 calories, when I cut you 500 calories, you're higher than where you were when I got you. So I know we're in a really good place that I can slowly take away calories over the course of the next two months, getting ready for prep, that when you get there, you're in a very healthy place. The last client that I coached for a show, Melissa Wolf, she was a female in pretty good shape already. She wanted me to do exactly this. She wanted me to prep for a show. When I got her, she was at 1,700 calories, which is not bad, but not like a great place for someone who wants to compete. 1,700 calories a day in her body. And I'd say she probably needed to lose between seven to 10% body fat to get on stage. And I said, okay, I'm not going to prep you until we, we get these calories up. And so we kept working and we kept building the metabolism, adding calories, strength training, building muscle. I think I increased her scale weight by five pounds over the course of six months, but I got her eating 27 to 2,800 calories. So when she hit stage, she was eating 1,900 calories, which was 200 more calories and when she came than in, what she, yeah. when she yeah. came in eating. <laughs> and to right. me, that is a successful prep is, yeah. was I able to speed your metabolism up so high that when I cut you for a show and you are getting ready for stage, you're eating damn near as many calories as when I met you. That is how you, in my opinion, you prep somebody in the healthiest way possible because the reality is the amount of push restriction you do to the body for that extended period of time is not ideal and not healthy by any means. But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in the healthiest way I possibly can. And one of the ways of making sure we do that is by making sure I first focus on that client's metabolism and get it to a place where they're eating a lot of food before I start to cut them. The opposite happens if you don't. If you don't and you put someone in there and you they are halfway through prep, they're nowhere near what they need to look like on stage. They're doing an hour of cardio every single day. They're eating 1,200 calories. They're hating life, and they got six weeks to go still. And then even when they get there, finally, they don't ever show up with the physique that they really are happy with because they're working against their body. Their body is hating them. They have to, you have to realize that all this nifty stuff that we do to the body, our body doesn't know all this sophisticated shit we're doing to it. All it knows is survive. And the signal you are sending to the body when you're saying run on a treadmill, don't give it food, it's fuck you. Is I'm yeah. trying to kill you, and it's do and it's doing everything it can to survive. Mode. Yeah, yes, it goes into yeah. survival mode, and it slows the metabolism, and it conserves energy because you're spending energy like crazy, and you're restricting it tons of calories, and so it is trying to survive. So it is only doing. What it's supposed to do when you send a signal like that. It's so important that before you go into the prep, 
that you do a really good job of adding muscle, speeding the metabolism, getting to a place where you're eating more calories than you had ever eaten before, before you start to restrict and go back down the other direction. And that's what it looks like. It's hard to give you a specific time frame of how long that, but hopefully that gives people a little glimpse into what they should focus on before they decide, oh, I'm ready to go do a show is I need to get to a place where I'm eating a good amount of calories that, because I want to be able to cut your calories every two weeks or so, two to three weeks, I'm going to restrict calories anywhere between 250 to 500. These are generic numbers, of course, right? But to give somebody more, more like insight into what it looks like is every two weeks or so, I'm cutting back on on a client 250 to 500 calories. And if I, and I'm going to do that for six to eight weeks, getting ready for a prep. So that means we got three times we're going to drop, say, 250 to 500. You're talking about anywhere from, what is that, 700 to 2,000 calories that we could come down over the course of this six to eight week prep. So if you're starting at 2,000, then what the hell? We're not going to be able to be somewhere that's sustainable and healthy. So we need to get to a place where you are before we start to cut you down for the show. Yeah, I love that answer. And that's exactly what I was looking for is that bulk versus that cut prep time. So really what we want to do is that bulking, that building muscle, that building that healthy metabolism to get to a place where we have room to move, right? Because as you said, hey, if we have an eight-week prep cycle where every couple of weeks I'm going to cut your calories significantly, if we're starting for a woman at 1,800, that doesn't leave us a whole lot of room after a couple of weeks. And same with a guy, if he's at 2,200 calories or so, we're going to take four or 500 calories away that we're probably okay that first couple of weeks cycle. But then when he plateaus and we need to do another cut, we're in trouble pretty quick. Whereas we get this guy to 3,500, 4,000 calories or whatever that looks like for that person, we've got a little room to operate. So when people are thinking of a timeline, it really depends on where you are with your muscle building base and your metabolism. So that's fantastic. Now, Adam, before we go any further, how are you on time? Are you cool? Oh, yeah, no, you're my last thing today, so we're All right, good. right so, on. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. There's the healthier you are, the shorter the prep time. So yeah. one of the things that my peers would trip out about is, one, I would not do any cardio until the final two weeks. So I did two weeks of cardio is all I ever did all through my, my, my prep three years of competing. So I was able to get to the most extreme levels of shreddedness with only two weeks of cardio bouts. That's it. And I also didn't have to diet longer than about six weeks. And that's because I kept myself very healthy place. My metabolism was roaring. I focused more on that, on the building the metabolism, building muscle. When I got myself up to eating 5,000 calories a day, which is what I would need to eat to maintain my 230-pound, 10% body fat physique, I would have to eat 5,000. When I was up, when it was roaring like that, man, all I had to do was cut down to 3,500 calories and my I would just wait, yeah. would just fall. And 3,500 calories is still a good amount of calories. I didn't feel like a, now, no matter where you're at, you always feel hungry. So being hungry is a normal feeling. So I did feel hungry at 3,500, but I, I knew that I was giving myself a healthy amount of calories that I'm not going to be doing damage to my body. And it's a sustainable place to be when I finish this. So the healthier you are, the shorter these preps can be. So if you get to a place where you actually maintain yourself at a pretty lean body fat percentage already, and you have a really good metabolism, you eat a good amount of calories, shit, you could prep for a show in four weeks. I've done some of my best shows. I only had a four week prep. It was a real short prep because I didn't have to lose that much body fat. I was coming from like 7% 
and I just had to get down to about 3%. So I could drop 4% in four weeks, especially when I've got a roaring metabolism and I got room to add cardio because I'm not doing any cardio. So you could easily get ready for it if you are in a very healthy place. And so to me, the long part of getting ready for competing is actually all the work preparing yourself metabolism-wise, training-wise, consistency, keeping yourself in a healthy place, body fat percentage, getting yourself there, then you could you can you can pick a show a month or two out and go, I'm gonna do that show and then and get ready for it. And because you've done such a good job, you have all these levers you can pull. Oh, I could add a little bit of cardio because I haven't been doing anything. Like, oh, I could restrict another 500 calories, but I'm still eating 4,000. You have these yeah. things. Oh, I can add another day of training because I was only training five days a week. You have a lot of levers to pull because you've put yourself in a very good, healthy place. And that is the most important part of competing, in my opinion. Absolutely love that. And we talk about metabolism on this show all the time. And people are often surprised when they ask me how much I eat. I'm about 6'2", right now, probably 197-ish or so. And my maintenance calories are 33, 3,400 calories, something like that. So for me to gain weight, I'm going to bump up closer to 4,000. And for me to lose weight, I've got some room there. But for a pretty lean dude, I eat a lot of food, right? And who's overweight and sedentary and eating a lot less food thinks, well, that's not fair. <laughs> But it's to your point, I've done that long, that yep. work of rebuilding and optimizing my metabolism. Now, let's talk about building that metabolism, building the best, one of the best ways to build a metabolism, obviously, is to put on some lean muscle mass, some of that type two muscle fiber that looks so good on a bodybuilder. You guys, of course, we've talked about MAPS fitness products on our show a few times in the past. And we are here at Silver Edge. We are an affiliate for you folks and your programs. If somebody is looking at, says, they think, hey, okay, this sounds interesting to me, guy or a girl, and they know they have some work to do on this rebuilding metabolism, building muscle side. What sort of program, how many days a week, and what kind of, are they doing body splits? Are they doing three full body days? Are they doing six days a week? What does that look like? And what sort of programs would you point somebody to for this very first, let's say, bulk or metabolism optimization? Yeah, it's a good question. And again, unique to the individual, but I can give you some generic guidelines, right? So I always like to give you a novel stimulus. So perfect world, I get somebody who is trains because because they're curious about bodybuilding. They already train hypertrophy, supersets. They chase the pump. They like bodybuilder splits. So that person, I would love to take that person and run them through like a maps powerlift, like a powerlifting strength based type of program that is so different from how they've been training, like bodybuilder esque for so long because it's novel. And th that's what's more important than like, cause somebody might be like, wait a second, I wanna be a bodybuilder and you're gonna tell me to go do a power lifter program? Yeah, the reason why is because I'm looking more for a novel stimulus from what you're meaning, something you're not used to doing. You don't train that way. That's what's gonna add the most muscle, that and adding calories, right? So you doing a power lifting program in a caloric surplus, that novel stimulus with the additional calories is going to build good muscle for you. And so another way to look at it would be to do a program that is very different. Than, so let's say you're, you actually train like a power lifter. Okay, then maybe a split type of routine or maybe a map strong would be a great program for you. Like when do you ever do like circus presses or snatch grip deadlifts? These are movements that most people that are general pop are not familiar with and they don't train. Well, guess, guess what? That's huge opportunity for muscle growth. 
And so I would love to put you on a program that is different than what you would normally be attracted to. And the more different it is with the calorie surplus is what's going to add the most muscle. What adds the most muscle is going to speed the metabolism up the most. So that is the direction that I would point you. And the individualized part of that is the person who is self-aware enough to know what do you normally gravitate towards? Because most of us identify as a type of lifter and you go towards a certain type of program. So I would move you. And because we have a, such a wide range of MAPS programs, we have enough that I, I could I figure out by asking the right questions like, oh, what do you like to train? And what have you been doing for the last couple of months? And what are your favorite lifts? Oh, okay, this person is somebody who's like this program that we have. Okay, since they're like that program and they already train that way, let me take them to the other end of the spectrum and give them a program that is way different, maybe out of their comfort zone, but I got to explain to them like, listen, I know you're not into those type of lifts. You don't identify as a strong one, but hear me out. Those movements are so unique and so different for you. It's like remembering the first time you started working out. Almost all of us remember that first three months of eating correctly and training. Like the change happens fast because it's a novel stimulus. The first, the body is adapting and responding. It gets, the more you've been training, it's more difficult to see those big leaps again of leaps in metabolism, leaps in strength, leaps in aesthetics. And so the more experienced you are, the more challenging it is to find these novel stimuluses. The better you know yourself, the better you know what type of routine you gravitate towards, the better choice for you for speeding the metabolism up is picking something that is really different than what you normally would and then increasing the calories. That's what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. I absolutely love that answer. So basically you're saying if we're always doing three, four sets of 10 to 12 reps, because that's what we'd like to do. And maybe you've, you've read some men's health magazines or some women's fitness magazines, and you, that's the hypertrophy range. That's how we build muscle. Well, changing that stimulus and radically changing it even, it almost gets you those newbie gains again, right? Because we're doing something so new, so different, and we've adapted to that, what we've been doing all the time. The body's amazing at adapting to stimulus. And when we just change that stimulus up, make it novel, like you said, we can start to really pack on some muscle. All right. So then the flip side of that is, okay, now we've followed a program. It's different than we've done. We've actually added some nice muscle. Of course, we're feeding that all along the way. And we're ready now to start into our more of this cut phase. Would you change up programming at that point, or what are some programming yep. tips there? So now I'm going to switch. So now I'm going to switch it again, right? So I love when I'm training someone like this. Okay, so let's just say because I think Map Strong is so unique to the average person that especially anybody that would be consider doing like a bodybuilding show, I'd say, okay, this is what my goal is for you, Kevin, for the next three months. We're going to follow Map Strong. My goal is for us to slowly increase calories over the entire course of the program. So that after three months at the end of it, we've built a substantial amount of muscle and strength that you didn't have before. You're now eating a good thousand more calories a day than what you were eating when you first met me. And then I feel like, okay, now we're in a good place to get ready for a show. Now let's transition to a MAPS aesthetic or a MAPS split, which is what we would consider a more bodybuilder-esque routine. Now within those programs, we still have a strength phase. We still have a hypertrophy and strength endurance phase. So we do still phase the program but it's much more focused on the pump and aesthetics and sculpting the body. And to be honest, at this point, you're again, we're not gonna build a bunch of muscle. You're in a cut. You did the work already. Strong is what built the muscle. 
This is making sure we're like, and bodybuilder programs, a good bodybuilder program does a good job of touching every little muscle on your body and making sure they all get evenly worked so that they all get stimulated and you're making sure you have this symmetrical balanced body, right? That's how we wrote those programs. But the truth is because you're in a cut and you're getting ready for a show, you're not really going to add a bunch of muscle at this point. You're just making sure you're stimulating all of it so you don't lose any of the muscle while you're in this deficit. And then you're, and then you're going to cut for the six, eight, or four weeks, depending if you kept yourself in really good shape and following a routine like that. But I always love anytime I switch diet up or I change the goal or focus with the client, I'm also going to shift the programming on them. And even if it like doesn't align perfectly, let's say you're midway through strong and we're very happy where your metabolism is. You see a show on the radar where you're like, oh, we can make that transition. We go, okay, drop strong. Now we're moving over to MAPS aesthetic or map split, and let's start you on your cut, you're ready to go. If you can feel good, but I feel good about where you're at, you don't necessarily have to go all the way through strong, and then we have to follow the program to the exact date. But the idea of switching the stimulus to another novel stimulus is going to benefit you when it comes to hanging on to muscle. So the same rules apply with a novel stimulus when it comes to building muscle to also maintaining and keeping it. Because you have this kind of competing signal. You're sending a novel signal to the body to build muscle, but you're not feeding enough calories to actually build muscle. So then the body is trying to, it's not really going to get very far, but then it's also not going to lose it rapidly. If you don't do any stimulus on muscle and you put yourself in a caloric deficit, not only will you lose body fat, but you also lose muscle because you're not sending a signal to the body to keep muscle. And again, the body only knows one thing, to survive. And if it has this really expensive muscle tissue on it, because muscle is expensive to keep on the body, and you're not feeding it calories to sustain that muscle, and you're not stimulating it to sustain that muscle, it'll pare it down. It'll go, oh, no use for your delts. He ain't using them, and he ain't feeding me any calories. Get rid of those suckers. And so it pairs down. And that's a little extreme analogy and does exactly work that right. way, but it gets the point across. Right? Yeah, no, I love that. So really, we're switching our focus, right? We're sending this loud muscle preserving signal in this cut phase, right? We're telling our bodies to, we have to hang on to this muscle because we're doing this work. We can't expect it to grow necessarily because we're not feeding it the raw materials it needs to build. But really, we're, we've just switched our focus from muscle building to fat burning. Is that fair? Yep. Like you said yep. earlier on, I think yep. what I want to do now is I've already done the work. Now I'm going to strip away that that fat to showcase the muscle, get down to that lean state. All right. So we've got our person here all the way through. They've, they've cut. They're, now they're getting ready to walk out on a stage in a very skimpy outfit. So for a woman in a bikini, that's one of these glitzy, tiny little bikinis. A guy in physique, he's just in a pair of board shorts. And he's going to go stand out there with his peers and be judged that's got to be pretty nerve wracking just in and of itself. But what sort of tips do you have for the day of the show or as somebody is getting ready to walk out on stage for the very first time? Because that's got to take that take a lot of guts, right? But they've done all this work. They're ready. Yeah, what happens show day? Yeah, there's a lot going on here. So everybody will have like a duffel bag full of bands. You also will normally have like sort of a fast acting carbohydrate sugar on you, right? So something that you can eat really quick or liquid that you could drink. And so you could fill up the glycogen in your muscles because when, you're, when your metabolism is roaring, you're so low calorie, one of the hard things is to keep your body full and because your muscles is water and glycogen primarily. And so when you're in a cut like that, you deplete that, which gives you in the bodybuilding world a term that we call flat. And what that is, the glycogen and fluid is depleted in the muscle belly. And so it gives this kind of flat look, which is not a good look on stage and for photos. You want to be filled out but not so over 
full full that you're storing body fat. So that's the real science, like trying. And by the way, I did six shows, and I don't think I ever perfected this. That was one of the things I used to geek out on: is that how this is difficult? It's very difficult to time your best looking physique at this exact hour of a day that you. Yeah, have to you're trying. To it's peak. already hard. Yeah, months worth of work. You're trying to peak in 30 minutes, right? <laughs> yes, it's a pretty narrow yes. window. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very enough. narrow window, and the leaner you get, okay, when you get down to 2-3% body fat, and I used to tell people how fascinating this was, too, I could drink a cup of coffee, and I swear I could see it go through my body. You were, you're, you're, like, your skin is paper thin, you can see the veins pop out and respond from the caffeine, like you are just so responsive because you have hardly anything in your system, so it could easily go one way or the other, too much, not enough. And so timing that is really difficult and will take practice and time. How much exact amount of water your body needs to fill your muscle bellies up, but not so much that you actually look bloated because you had too much water. So knowing exactly where that is, so that, this is all stuff that there is no exact answer for the person. Like you have to cut as you go through the whole process of getting ready for it. Right before you get on stage, you're pumping up the blood and fluid right before you go on there. So you have a certain look. A thing that I think is really important that a lot of competitors make the mistake is that the minute you can be seen by the judge, even when you're not all the way out there, like you're being judged. So staying tight, good posture the entire time. That takes practice, keeping the core drawn in, staying upright, keeping all the muscles tense and looking a certain way. And so walking out there with that kind of confidence and swagger while also being mindful that you're being judged at every moment. So not allowing the body to relax or to slouch or do anything like that. Like, yeah, that's a lot of that goes into that. So it was an area that was my least favorite part of competing because I really liked the competitive diet and training part. I didn't like the pageantry part. I was not I, I was not into the prancing around and showing my body off. For me, I did it all for me, even though I knew that was part of the sport was to go out there and be judged. And so it took me a while to get comfortable with doing that. And the more you practice it, the better you are at it and it, it does seem very vain to be staring at yourself in the mirror and everything like that but every night before bed i did those things and i was practicing how i'm presenting my physique and i'm feeling what it feels like and i'm looking in the mirror what that's presenting and it, i had to do that so many times that when i got on the stage you don't get a mirror when you get out there you walk out there but i know that when i tighten my core and i twist a little bit to the right like that it opens up my serratus and it shows those obliques and those muscles really well and when I roll the shoulder blades back a little bit, it sets my chest up nice and high. But I don't want to pinch my shoulder blades too tight together because then it flattens and squeezes my back. And so I got to flare my lats a little. So there's a lot of that going on that you have to think about and practice to get really good at actually presenting the best version of you. Because my very first show, I placed fourth. And everybody thought I got robbed, but I didn't get robbed. I didn't pose. That's why they robbed me. I blew everybody out of the water physique-wise. I came diced and it was obvious when i hit the stage like i was at the amateur level and i was at you know, pro level leanness and i stood out like a sore thumb everybody in the crowd booed and was like thought it was i was getting robbed but when i went back and i thought i did initially but when i watched the video and i watched my posing i didn't present my physique right and the judges will critique that and they will dock you points if you slouch a shoulder down or you pinch the shoulder blades together and you're not always presenting the best angles and the best version of you all the time. And so I had to hit the drawing board and do the stuff that I didn't want to do very much because I didn't care about it. But I thought, well, I want to win. And I'm going to win That's this damn thing. Yeah. I, yeah, it's what it takes. And so you found myself standing in front of mirrors and posing and doing that stuff. And so that is a big part of 
getting ready for this show is understanding. I may have guys that make a living off of just being posing coaches. Posing so you coaches, can hire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a posing coach. I think, it's, I think it's very valuable if you've never done it. There's also a lot of material online. We did videos for women's bikini for posing. When I actually, You can actually look up, I think it's one of the number one videos if you look up on YouTube, women's bikini posing, I think is when I is Melissa, the girl that I told you I last coached. I had a pro teaching her how to do the T walk, and we videoed it and put it on our Mind Pump channels. Yeah, that you definitely want to work on that because that is a, is definitely a big part. Even if you have the best physique, you don't always win. Yeah, got to know how to showcase it. Right? All right, well, as we're wrapping up here, let's take our theoretical over fifty badass. He or she has done this. They've got uh, they've gotten on stage. They fulfilled this lifetime dream and now they're in a pretty unhealthy state right what's next what do you recommend for this guy or gal coming off the stage in the days and weeks months ahead how does somebody recover from that and then let's just say this person's hooked they absolutely love the process want to do it again what's a realistic cadence of shows should they do one a year should they do one every quarter is it you can do multiple you can do multiple the healthier you are and the better you take care of yourself and the smarter you do this the more you can do in a year i think i got up to three or four in a year so you could do multiple in a year for sure and the answer regardless if you're going to continue doing this not how you come out of it it was the same answer i would give which is Treat the first weeks of coming out of it the same way you treated your last two weeks going into it. Meaning the same way that you were cutting calories, getting ready for the show and adding cardio and doing those things, you reverse out of it the same way. So I slowly add back calories. I slowly tailor back on some of the cardio to where when I get to two weeks out, I'm too closer to a normal eating ha habits as far as calorie wise and I'm back to doing limited or no cardio whatsoever. So the same kind of extreme tapering going into the final juice is like how I would want to take you out and don't make the mistake of binging like crazy. That's how you add fat cells to your body and make it more difficult for you to get leaner later by eating like an asshole afterwards, like I say, because you, and I did this on my first show because you will do that and you actually look good still. And so it messes with you psychologically. Like, oh man, I just ate that pizza and this and I still look awesome. That's because you were 2% body fat. And so your body was starving for all those calories. But still, if you want to do it in a healthy manner and maintain a good healthy physique, you want to taper out. And then I actually love right after that, get rid of the focus on the body again. And now go get strong. Go get strong yeah. again, increase calories. Focus on a powerlifting program. Focus on getting strong in your deadlift. Focus away from the vanity side for a little bit. And I think that's a good mental exercise for you. I think if the body will do better that way and respond, you want to go right back to rebuilding the metabolism because you have to understand it's an adaptation machine. You cutting calories and dieting for the show, you didn't break the metabolism, but you adapted it to low calorie again. You now have to retrain it again to increase calories. So go right back to the drawing board of the, how you, how many shows you should do is how fast can you get it back up to that 4,000 or in my case, 5,000 calorie range. If you back up there in a month or two and feeling great, nothing says you can't get ready and go right for another show a month after that. So, and that's how you should do Now, if you did some serious damage, you cut really hard and you're having a hard time slowly getting the calories back up without putting tons of body fat on, then you might want to give yourself a longer break. And that's how I would decide that. So it could be one show a year. It could be as high as three or four if you do a really good job of staying as healthy as possible. Yeah, it's almost coming full full circle back to that healthy metabolism. How quickly can we get back to that healthy, optimized metabolism, right? Back to where we're eating 
a lot of food, building strength, feeling good, probably libido, sleep, energy, all of those markers moving north, right? That those are all indications that, okay, we're now we can consider doing another show, right? Yep. All right, Adam, as we're wrapping up here, how can people connect with you? What's the best way for folks to? Best way is to just, yeah, search Mind Pump. This uh, we have. I always tell people, please go take advantage of all the free content before you buy anything from us. We have three different YouTube channels: Mind Pump TV, Mind Pump Clips, Mind Pump Show. Tons of free content there. We have MindPumpFree.com, which is all kinds of white papers and blogs and articles. We have a blogs that go three to five blogs a week go out. Subscribe to the blogs. Follow us on Mind Pump Media on IG. We're constantly putting content there. So yeah, go take advantage of all the free content that we provide. That was really the mission for us when we started this business was can we produce more free, valuable content than anybody else in the space? And then uh, and then if you need a program, we have tons of programs for all types of goals. All right, and folks, I will put links to all of the things we talked about today, including the, the social media stuff, the website, the I'm free, all of that good stuff into the show notes here. Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your passion with us. I've often said this to my audience before. I'm a huge fan of you guys' podcast. You're not just my favorite health and fitness podcast. You're my favorite podcast. And in fact, you guys were instrumental in my own personal fitness journey. And it was your podcast that inspired me to actually start a podcast, become a a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. Just want to have the opportunity to thank you for that and wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Keep up the great work, man. Awesome. Thank you, Kev. I'll see you inside the NCI, brother. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash 164. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.